So we're going to be looking at John chapter 12 this morning. Up to this point, the Pharisees and a lot of the Jews have uh, taken up issue with Jesus. They say that he claims uh, to make himself uh, greater than Abraham, greater than the prophets, greater than Jacob, greater than uh, Moses. Uh, and, and indeed, if you think back to someone like Moses, uh, God gave him the uh, the authority to lead the plagues and eventually the uh, the exodus out of Egypt. The first of the plagues that uh, God sends is turning water to blood. One of the first signs we see in John is turning water to wine. And the last of the plagues was the death of the firstborn. And here we see back in chapter 11, sort of a reversal of that as well, that uh, death is working backwards in a sense in the raising of Lazarus. Uh, what we're going to see as we talked briefly about at the very end of last class, verses 45 uh, through 57, we see that the chief priests, we see the Sanhedrin uh, putting out a wanted poster, as it were, for Jesus. They say that it's best that he die to save the nation. And uh, they say if anybody sees him, they are to report him at once. And so we see... Uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, that's about six days before the Passover. And we're going to be seeing a lot of stuff happen in the last week of Jesus' life. So, Tony, would you please read for us chapter 12? Thank you. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethlehem with Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from So they gave a dinner for him. Martha said, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance and perfume. But Judas is carried one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him. said, Why was the anointment, uh, ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you all always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, who, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the crowd, the large crowd, had come to Egypt, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead 
continued to bear witness. The, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was why they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will he, my servant, be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it, and said that it was the thunder. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast down. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. You may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, His blind in their eyes and hard in their heart. Must they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. For fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, and what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Thank you. 
All right, so this, as I said, we're going to have a lot of detail in the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, this first part, verses uh, 1 through 11, is about six days before that. And we see um, that he's in Bethany again, uh, where Lazarus, who ha- had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead, they're having supper. Martha's serving, typical of what Martha does, and Lazarus is one of those who's reclining at the table or sitting at the table. And even though that seems like a just a passing comment, you realize that days before he was dead. That that's not uh, that that's not normal for days after somebody is dead for that they're having communion that they uh, with the Father that they are sharing in a meal. Uh, but that's what happens with us, too, is it not that whenever we are raised, that we have communion, that we associate, that we continue to feast with the, with, uh, the Son. Uh, and we see Mary in action as well. We've seen Martha and Lazarus, and then Mary uh, does something that is perceived as somewhat controversial. What do you make of what she does, what does she do, and the response thereof? In verse 3, she took uh, a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. And the response? How does, Ju- how does Judas, it's, it names Judas here. Uh, yes, Bob. Okay. Very good. He he uh, complains about uh, such an extravagant uh, gift or act here uh, when he may have uh, ulterior motives. I don't know necessarily what to make of this. Um, Anointing was was a common practice, but, but maybe not an everyday event. But usually, what we see is people anointing the head, whereas here it's the feet. What to make of that? I don't know, except for the fact that in the next chapter we see feet again. We see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Um, just an interesting little point there. Um, but uh, but to Bob's point as to uh, Judas uh, sort of superficially or artificially uh, shows some kind of spirituality. Well, we could have used the money for that and given it to the poor. Um, but really, he sees a chance to gain for himself. Um, what, uh, what else do you see of in that? Or, or even Jesus' response to that. Yeah, that. I see when we were talking about the anointing his feet versus his head. It was a humbling action that she was doing with him. And using her hair as a means to do that as well. Yeah. Honoring him. Humbling yourself and honoring him at the same time. Humbling self, 
honoring or esteeming him who had days before or moments before raised him, uh, raised her brother from the dead and, sh- and showing that. Um, what other choice does she have but to give him her all? Um, and we, we see we see how much this costs. It's 300, 300 denarii, almost, almost a full year's wage uh, of money that she probably kept for some special occasion of, uh, in her life. But seeing that this was this trumps any other kind of of uh, occasion for her, and this is a great sacrifice on her part. Whereas in contrast, Judas he receives a small amount to betray Jesus. She gives a large amount in honor. Judas, on the in contrast, receives so little. To betray Jesus. And think about what what do we get when we betray Jesus? Is it a grand amount of wealth? Is it a lot of popularity? Is it anything that's lasting? No. It's uh, small in contrast to uh, what Jesus truly deserves that we sacrifice. Yeah, Brad. Um, the, the kingship theme is pretty strong in this chapter. And here, she's treating him as if the king That's a good point that, that we see a king motif, the, the royalty, the treatment, the honor and esteem that is given uh, to one who truly deserves it. The anointing of the king is a sign of servanthood and also humility. And that's what Jesus teaches in the next chapter. So there's kind of a connection here between what Mary has done and what Jesus is going to be showing his disciples about humility and servanthood. And so she, I think, she has learned more and understood more about what Jesus is here to do and what's coming up for him than any of the others. Yes, uh, very good. So seeing the role of Jesus as king and then Mary and her position and all of our position as one of being a servant. Um, and... I don't know to what effect or to what point in verse 7 Jesus says, let her alone, leave her be. She's doing what is right, she's doing what's appropriate. She's kept this for the day of my burial. Whether or not she realized, as we talked about in our last chapter, the, the domino effect that we knew that the raising of Lazarus would result in his crucifixion, she has kept this for the day of my burial. Perhaps there was part of her that knew that this is... This is going to be it uh, for for her. Uh, very good. Also, in verses nine through eleven, we see that many people uh, come are still coming to Jesus, but not just to see Jesus. They want to see some of the evidence. They've heard of what uh, Jesus has done, and Lazarus is Exhibit A of. Uh, what Jesus can do, and many people are believing in him, such to the point that uh, the chief priests want to get rid of the evidence. They make a plot to to kill him as well. 
Because on account of him, on account of Jesus, or, uh, Lazarus, excuse me, many of the Jews went away and believed in him. And just think that uh, when we are resurrected through baptism, Satan likewise wants to put us to death right away again. He, Satan uh, puts a target on our back and is after us so that he wants to destroy us as well. Very good. Um, other thoughts or questions before we look at the next day? Yes. I want to go back to Judas just for a minute. Sure. Uh, because I, I think he illustrates somebody who follows Jesus for what he can get out of. And uh, I, I think there's a warning there for us to see that picture. Because sometimes, you, you know, I'll say, uh, you know, I didn't get much out of that. And uh, I, I think we need to be reminded that we are not coming to worship God because we want to see what we're going to get out of it, but we, we should be coming uh, to, to offer to God our praise and our glorification uh, of who He is. And absolutely, good point that uh, what does Mary get out of all of this? No, nothing. It's, 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 it's not about her. It's not about me. For Judas, it is about Judas, and uh, we have we have words in the dictionary that that define uh, the acts of Judas as pilfering, uh, embezzling the money to for himself. There's no sacrifice. There's no uh, true love. There's not not even any real concern for <laughs> for the poor in this as well. Um, That's a good point of uh, the the issue of of the money and well, well sh- uh, should should she be doing this with such a costly gift should it be given to the poor. Um, the when it com- when it comes to balancing how we give and how we sacrifice, we are to sacrifice in all aspects of our life. But Jesus ought to come first. And and just to your point as you finished up, that what's right there right now, um, Jesus should take precedent in in that. That's a good point. Yes, Bob? In uh, Matthew 26, 6, uh, seems to be the same account here. And it says that she put her 
Uh, yeah, there are some uh, other instances in, in Mark 14, uh, Matthew 26. There are other uh, accounts of anointing. Could be separate accounts, separate anointings. It, it is. Um, could it be that he anointed both? And one focuses on one part of the body and the other focuses on the other. I don't uh, know much regarding, uh, regarding that. But yeah, there, I did notice that there were some differences in the accounts. Yes, Bob. Good point. That that uh, there is ample amount for all that. Good. Yes. Um, so is it twenty six verses six And it's and it's not and it's not just Judas who raises complaint in the other accounts. That it's the disciples. It doesn't name Judas specifically. Good. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the next day, uh, verses twelve and following. This is a uh, familiar account. Uh, for us, uh, people are starting to gather together for the feast and they uh, know that Jesus is going to be there. Uh, and so there's a there's a celebration. There's a welcoming. This person it can do great signs. He is going to be our Messiah. And uh, we see in verse 13, they took uh, palm branches and went out to greet them. Um, a note on the palm branches uh, that was a that became a national uh, symbol and sign for the people um, during the Maccabean period after they had kicked out Antiochus Epiphanes uh, they they celebrated with these kinds of palm branches and and every uh, year that sort of became a sign of honor or sign of uh, co- a conquering victor uh, for the people of the Jews. And as they, uh, as he's coming in, they shout out, Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. And we've seen Jesus identified in this book before as the King of Israel, though I don't think everybody really figures out what that what they mean by that and what it means to be their king. This word Hosanna is again this save us, deliver us, um, please, this this uh, cry for salvation. Um, and it takes on a very messianic 
uh, meaning because they're recognizing that this is a kingly figure. Uh, and then Jesus uh, comes in riding on a young, a young donkey. Uh, and it says, according to the scripture, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Most of the other um, accounts will refer to at least part of that prophecy. But I appreciate the ads in there. Fear not, daughter of Zion, that uh, there's nothing to fear uh, because th- their king is here. Their, their salvation is going to uh, to be there for them. Uh, and verses 16 and, and following, the, the disciples don't fully grasp everything that's going on, but they will uh, later on come to appreciate all of this. Yes? The fulfillment of that prophecy was really a sign of hope for the Jews, but they didn't understand it. Uh, they, uh, the, the people thought that Jesus was in, and there would be That Jesus came to be a a savior, not a political savior, not a political king, but he was coming to overthrow a much crueler uh, kingdom, that of sin and death. Good. Yes, Brad. Um, it's interesting to me that they're saying this uh, unknowingly. And I guess I've always thought that when a prophecy is fulfilled by someone saying something, that they thought of that prophecy and they were saying that as Jesus was walking and thinking about, oh, hey, I'm going to quote this Bible verse. Um, and maybe that's what's happening here. It almost sounds like they were saying this, not thinking about the Bible verse, but maybe maybe sarcastically saying, oh, look, don't be afraid, Zion. Your king is coming on a donkey. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't have been a great um, uh, honorable, it doesn't seem like a, an, animal to, an animal of honor to ride in on. Um, but uh, only after his disciples, oh, after Jesus was glorified, did they realize those things were written about him. So I'm, I'm going to throw that out there. I wonder if anybody has any thoughts about um, did they say that because they were thinking of the scripture, or did they say that and then later um, realize, oh, people said that and that was written about me? What I, what I take from that they cry out verse 13. They're not crying out verse 15. Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written. Um, now, as to why, why a donkey, um, one comment that I had, I had seen is that usually kings, whenever they're riding on horses, horses are war animals. Um, that are used for riding in battle, donkeys and uh, and beasts of burden like that are people ride them during times of peace, uh, and so perhaps there is some kind of sign in connection with that. Um, but it's 
But yeah, hopefully that answers a little bit of of that. Leanne and then breadcrumbs, and whether or not they knowingly uh, leave those breadcrumbs reminds me of the previous chapter with Caiaphas and his uh, his prophecy that he he is he uh, unknowingly making uh, a prophetic statement about the about the death of Jesus. Raymond. True, uh, true understanding of of it is really in hindsight, uh, and you can truly appreciate it looking back as opposed to being there in the moment. Jill, and then we have a couple over here. Yeah, that Second Corinthians three. What was the verse? Uh, Fourteen and fifteen. And 16. Okay, very good. Yes. One of the things that we all see in all the gospels is that they encouraged, and the writer of that gospel points back to the prophecy that is fulfilled in that event. I think that's what we have here, where John the Holy Spirit is pointing back to the prophecy. Very good, and, and we get we get the benefit of having that sort of explained to us here. Imagine having the entire account of uh, the life of Jesus, and then at the end of the book, it says, "Now you remember this? It's he's fulfilling this scripture or this prophecy, and this thing is fulfilling this prophecy, and this thing is fulfilling this prophecy." But the, the gospel writers all along the way do us the, the heavy lifting, as it were, to, to see all of these fulfillments of Scripture. So verse 16 is referring to a time after Jesus died. Is 17, 18, and 19 also referring to a time? Is that thought continuing that these things happen after the death of Jesus? Or does it switch back? 
Good question. Uh, question being 17 through 19, is that talking about um, after Jesus is glorified and resurrected, or is it coming back to our timeline? I would say um, verse 17 is talking about people bearing witness not uh, uh, of what Jesus has done through Lazarus. And then the Pharisees speaking uh, to one another, saying, you, you're accomplishing nothing, the, the world has gone after him. I think that's in connection with what we're going to see in verses 20 and following with, uh, the, with people who are not just the Jews uh, coming, seeking Jesus. Yeah, maybe as a different paragraph or maybe as a parenthetical statement uh, for verse 16. Um, so I don't know if that gives much more clarity um, that uh, the, as he's coming into ta- I do sort of see it as uh, continuing with the uh, next day narrative that we see in verse 12. That uh, as he's coming in, they are... They shout out Hosanna. He's coming in on a donkey. Also, the people um, who were with him days before um, are bearing witness to what he has uh, what he has done. Um, and so, moving on into the next event in this. Um, As I said in verse 19, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, see you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And we see a a microcosm of what the world means. We see these groups of Greeks uh, who are among them. who came came to worship, whether they were proselytes or people who had been scattered among the nations coming together to observe the Passover. And they they approach Philip, who we've seen before in this in this book, saying, We wish to see Jesus, and Philip goes to his friend Andrew. They go together to explain the situation to uh, to Jesus. And it doesn't necessarily seem that Jesus says, okay, let me go speak to them. I want to talk talk with them. He just stops there and he has this statement. Um, and I think this is an important thing for us to, to spend some time on. Verse 23, the hour has come. We've seen the hour language in this book saying the hour has not yet come, my time has not yet come, it's not time yet. Um, But in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Uh, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Seems to be talking about maybe himself. 
But also in the following verses, 25 through 26, uh, there's sort of an overlap between it. it can, you can see application of the life of Jesus and the life of his followers. Those who truly want to see him, those who truly want to uh, follow him. He who, live, he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, let him follow me where I am. There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And so um, the concept of the grain falling into the earth and dying, a, a seed cannot stay a seed forever if it is to fulfill its purpose. Jesus cannot remain as he is in perpetuity for him to fulfill his purpose. He must go into the ground and die just as a seed does to germinate and produce uh, uh, produce grain, uh, produce everlasting life. That's a good point that uh, the hour has come in connection to the Passover uh, language. Um, on the actual day that the Passover lamb was sacrificed, the decision on what lamb was going to be sacrificed wasn't made in that moment. It wasn't an eeny, meeny, miny, I'm going to pick this one. It was planned out days before. Just like the, uh, Jesus coming in is, is essentially they're bringing in, ushering in that, that lamb. Um, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Do you see that in the life of Jesus? Do you see him um, loving his life, or do you see him as hating the life that he now lives and is willing to offer that up? Um, yes, Bob. We often say the word hate, and it doesn't really mean hate the way that we think of hate, it means to love less. And, and the emphasis here is uh, he loves God and doing what God would have him do more than he loves his own life. He's willing to sacrifice. His life. And that's what he's pointing out here. Uh, I'm willing to sacrifice my life. He's told him this over and over again. That's what he's there for. And uh, he says, You need to be willing to do the same with your life. That's a good point. In verse 26, anyone, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where is Jesus going that they're going to need to follow? It's going to be the cross, isn't it? 
follow me to the point of your your own death, your death to self. Uh, it's not where we follow him through the good times and through the signs and the miracles and the bread and all those good things. It's going to mean following him through death. And that's, that's what it's going to, to take. Other thoughts or comments before we move on to the, the next paragraph or next section. Yes. Uh, it's always kind of struck me, verse 27, that I really believe that Jesus, um, he did not want to go to the cross. He was willing to do it, but he was traumatized. He, he, he was worth, he knew what was coming up, and it was a real struggle. That's a very good point. Verse 27 sounds a lot like Gethsemane, doesn't it? My soul's troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, Recognizing what he's come to do and the fact that it's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy. The, the shepherd laying down his life in front of the robbers and the wolves is going to is going to be a true sacrifice. But in this, we see his resolve. Father, not my will, but let your will uh, be done. Uh, and then the tale or in verse. 28, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Uh, We see that the glory of the Father is tied hand in hand with the glory of the Son. And it's not just in the fact that he comes in the flesh, but that he is going to be crucified and resurrected. Uh, and, and upon hearing this voice, this isn't the only time that we hear uh, the voice of God in, in the Gospels. We even saw that previously way back in chapter 1. But the response that we see here, <laughs> there, um, the people who stood uh, who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. They they may not have fully heard, comprehended, or grasped what was going on. But even still, Jesus sees reason and purpose in this. That it's not really for himself, but for the sake of the people present there. That they that they hear this. And again, verse 31, we see uh, his purpose, his mission uh, in this. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The crucifixion looks like... The greatest victory for Satan and the worst defeat 
for Jesus, when in fact it's the exact opposite. That the, re- that the death leads to the resurrection, which is the ultimate victory for Jesus and the defeat uh, against Satan and sin and death. And in order for all people to be drawn to God and drawn to Jesus, it requires that he's going to be lifted up. It requires that he goes, uh, that he goes through this. All peoples, including the Greeks that, who were uh, seeking, uh, seeking him out. Uh, other thoughts or comments as we go maybe through verse, uh, say verse 36. It is interesting whether they fully grasp it or not. Um, the the true message of God um, is not necessarily always heard by everybody, and we saw that previously with in chapter ten. Um, they verse thirty four. There's a fundamental misunderstanding. They say, "Wait, a, wait a moment." Uh, I thought uh, the Christ, the Messiah, he was going to come and be with us and we were going to have him forever. And the fact is, they are. But what must happen first is that he is lifted up. And so Jesus uh, explains in verse 35, a, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Uh, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And so we see this light motif that we saw back in the first verses of chapter 1. We see the necessity of belief in Jesus, seeing him as he truly is, listening to the voice of the shepherd, uh, and knowing that uh, if we don't believe in this light, that darkness will overcome uh, overcome us. And we will probably spend a couple of minutes finishing up chapter 12 uh, in our next class. But verse 37 to 41, really briefly, the point is Jesus uh, departs in verse 36 and is hidden from them. And the people didn't understand. And they haven't understood from the beginning and they still aren't truly getting it. And it's not a mental capacity. It's not a mental exercise for us as to whether or not if we study enough, we'll get it. 
It's a heart issue. Their hearts are hardened. Are our hearts hardened? We need to ask ourselves that question. So, thank you all for your kind attention and your participation in class.